everyone. Welcome to the Fantasy Book of the Month podcast for the month of August now, our second episode. How are you guys? I'm good. Doing great. Great. Still alive. <laughs> Still alive? Are you really? Well, probably. Peter, you're not alive. Just what truly is life? Oh, our podcast is so much more interesting now. <laughs> that we have a robot in the... You and robot? I was thinking ghost. Oh. Can you Can you tell me... That I am not alive. That I am not a person. I think. I think the same as you. This guy's playing Bet- Detroit Become Human. Is what's happening. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking near Automata. Honestly, that's fair. Um. So. So, guys, we're getting together this time. We're talking about um, sort of this RPG, uh, tabletop game. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, the original idea was just like, you know, kind of anything and everything, but but related at least tangentially to Dungeons and Dragons or or tabletop role playing games. The way I interpreted it, like it makes you want to play D and D after reading it. The high fantasy, but with random elements and stuff. I mean, I think I would love. I mean, the the genre of D and D affected uh, fiction is kind of uh, reaching. I mean, it's a thing now, right? I don't even know if it was a thing before, but at least now, you know, new books come out and someone's like, oh, this is one of those D&D books. Right. Uh, I think probably most famously are the the books by, I think we're, we're doing, somebody's doing uh, Bloody <laughs> Rose today, right? I am doing that. Yeah, I think that series kind of touched off the latest trend. Right. Kings of the Wild definitely felt like the D&D group gets back together 20 years later. And there have been other ones previously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that were kind of the same sort of, um, uh, you know, normal high fantasy, but with uh, touches of, of Dungeons and Dragons with with parties being put together and uh, characters facing classic monsters and uh, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, stuff like uh, what I chose to read this week, which is not really uh, about like a fantasy setting that's D&D, but characters that uh play D and and uh, that's kind of key to their their character motivation and stuff so we all of us um play these games i mean we gathered that from the last time we spoke um yep. and i believe several of us actually um dm right so i know i do and daniel does and peter does correct yep. correct i'm uh, DMing, dming the first time in fall in the fall oh that's exciting Ooh, exciting Congratulations. <laughs> Even though it's not that involved being uh, DMing because it's basically a dungeon to crawl, so I do basically nothing. <laughs> now, Katie just plays uh, half-orc barbarians. That's all she does. No, I don't. I started <laughs> off DMing. My very second really? D&D session was me DMing a whole bunch of noobs. <laughs> you know, that's so interesting. I remember the first time I played D&D, was with a group of people who had never played D&D, and we just sort of elected one guy to be the DM, and he had no idea what he was doing either. That's pretty much exactly how we started. And ironically, that was the most fun I ever had. I mean, that's my origin story, too, is someone was like, let's play D&D, and I'm like, okay. Did you guys follow any of the written campaigns, or did you make your own? Yeah, he he actually got. Um, I started on D and D fourth edition. It's actually really good for getting people into the game, though, because it's so simple. It's yeah, it's, and I I came into it from the the world of uh, you know miniature uh, like wargaming and stuff. 
Well, that's, that's a good in to fourth edition. Yeah, fourth edition is very like, oh, let's put minis on a map. It's a very comfortable step. Yeah, so, so. It, it was a pretty easy way to get people into the game. But once you once you really get into it, like the first time I learned you could play D&D without having any maps or tokens at all, like just the theater of the mind kind of gameplay style, that blew my mind and completely changed the game for me personally. So... So, uh, fun fact, I've never played a traditional game of D&D, but I've always played Homebrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't know how to play real D&D. That's, that's the secret of D&D, is there is no real D&D. Yeah, I think that's actually I mean, pretty typical. When you say Homebrew, you mean homemade settings or significantly changed rules? Significantly changed rules, different oh, settings. So In I, the... In the Dungeon Master's Guide, it even says that if these rules don't work for you, make your own up. Yeah, um, like, in the stuff I'm doing, it's, like, I only use the weapons, so I have rules for weapons, because I don't know how to make... How do I balance stuff? (laughs) Homebrewing is, like... Everything else is different. Yeah, homebrewing is, like, a crazy adventure sometimes. It's, It's practically all I do these days. What's like the um, for you guys who have who have DM'd then maybe some advice for Rachel when she starts her campaign in the fall? What is the like biggest mistake you made? Your players will immediately get off track, and then you'll just have to just throw everything out the window. Um, yeah, o- over planning is the biggest mistake I think. So the way I got around that is. I don't care if they die, which is bad because uh, I have like it's supposed to be very very short, and um, the way it works, uh, it's just like I don't care if they get off track, but it's the consequence of them, and they know the consequences. So yeah, don't hold back and don't baby them if you warn them ahead of time. Just punch the actual players right in the face. I mean, I have a cool side dungeon, but uh, it's kind of. Uh, it's like, let's go fight the STDs. The what? STDs. Like, like chlamydia? No. <laughs> That's what I thought you meant. No, similar to that. It's just not chlamydia. It's not just you know, the, the particular uh, the one of the three particular diseases. It's not chlamydia. Oh, so she oh. did mean that. She just gonorrhea. Then is maybe. Syphilis. It's like canthropy. Yes. yes syphilis. Um, no, I'm not going to do that one. So it's like a cells at work RPG. Yeah, that's what I said last time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I love cells at work so much. Come on, yeah. Katie, where are your notes? I'm sorry. Um, so uh, I was the one that had the most knowledge about biology because I got a degree in biology. And I took some college classes with uh, immunology, so it was like I am the most qualified to make this campaign. <laughs> so, so guys, um, in in talking about these sort of tabletop games in terms of of fiction, right, or in terms of a, a book, um, I actually sort of wrote my entire my entire um, review sort of based on this concept of how how do these tabletop games interact with like with like a book you know like what what carries over and what doesn't carry over very well mm. did you guys have any thoughts on that at all or did you encounter anything that seemed like you know this really doesn't work 
I was actually thinking about that the entire time I was reading my book. I was like, okay, mechanically in game, how would this work? <laughs> yeah, I know I've read a couple like um like Matthew Colville. I don't know if you guys know Matthew Colville. He's kind of a famous internet famous anyway, D and D personality. But he wrote a book uh, called Ratcatcher, uh, where the main character is just like ridiculously overpowered uh, throughout the whole thing. And I was like, oh, oh, so this is like a level twenty character operating in like a level five dungeon. Like, <laughs> no. That kind of reminds me of like the Japanese Japanese trend isekais or like in another world. Kind of. Yeah, it read a lot like that without, you know, sort of accepting the conceit of yes, this is a game. Instead, it it presented, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it treated it like it was real instead of, uh, you know, throwing up menus or or uh, having people with health bars. Watch. So was it satisfying to watch that character who seemed to outclass everything wander around? solve something yeah i actually really like Ratcatcher. uh you know not, not to review a totally different book but um it's uh, uh it, it was pretty satisfying but but it's because the nature of the book was a mystery and so mm -hmm. the overpoweredness did not like affect the actual plot of the of gotcha it was it sort of uh the character's power was tangential to or perpendicular to the necessary skills totally okay Oh, one second. Should we say our names one more time before we? No, we are mysteries. If you want to, I don't mind. I'm I think I, I think you're yes. probably right. Yes, we yeah. should. Uh, okay, I'm Rachel. And I am Peter, the robot. I'm Dan Evanson, the human. I'm Katie. Katie, why also you like... human? <laughs> why do you like going last? I don't know. I'm very shy. <laughs> Well, she can't be also human until there's first a human to be also to. That's a fair point. It's a good subclass. <laughs> uh, I hate playing human characters. <laughs> so what I found kind of funny about this genre of books here is that, I mean, RPG games, like tabletop games, sort of spawned off of these fantasy books in the first place, right? I mean... Well, yes and no. To a degree, it's, right? Uh, well, the early the earliest role playing games took a lot of theme from uh despite maybe denying this, took a lot of theme <laughs> from the classic fantasy uh uh Tolkien books, right. but uh but mechanically and I think uh inspirationally they were an outgrowth of wargaming originally. Okay. Um, so you could, I mean, obviously they took some inspiration from from the very well-known fantasy genre and tropes, but they, they grew out of something entirely different. Well, see, what I the way I was interpreting it is they took this sort of fantasy, large adventure kind of story, and they said, well, how can we mechanically play this as a game? And... Well, mm. And But now what's kind of funny is that we're talking about looking at these books that are spawned off the RPG games and we're reading the books and saying, well, how would this work mechanically? Like we're almost thinking backwards, it feels like. Well, in a way. I mean, so 
I don't quite agree with the original, uh, with the initial premise there, because the 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 original role-playing games were about very small-scale personal stuff. If anything, they mimicked uh, like sword and sorcery or sword and sandals sort of style role-playing. Uh, sorry, fiction instead, uh, and because they just pushed. A handful of characters down into a dungeon and practically watched them die. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not until they, you know, someone wanted to start a bigger story that they went mm-hmm. looking for, uh, you know, tropes and things to to add into it, and you know, found Tolkien and Lovecraft and all kinds of help in classic. Yes. Life. Yeah. I, I think it kind of also now involved, uh, evolved into like MMOs and stuff like that because uh, like MMORPGs. Oh, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Fourth edition in particular was an interesting case because it took, uh, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons itself had a ton of influence on the development of computer role-playing games of MMOs and World of War- Warcraft in specific. Um and fourth edition was taking a lot of uh, mechanical inspiration from World of Warcraft. Enough that en- enough inspiration that it bothered a lot of you know, previous uh, adherents to uh, older edition. Yeah, well, people are going to complain anytime something changes. Word. <laughs> and if I sound a little tired about that sort of. Uh, stick in the mud. I don't want to move on to the new thing. Let me complain about fourth edition and say that it is only for war gamers or it's for minis or it's practically a video game. I heard a lot of that while I was working on the game. It's never been interesting. See, what's funny is um, like when people complain about that kind of thing too. It's it's not like the old version's gone. Yeah, no, it's not there's, gone. There's still plenty of fourth edition games out there going on. One of my favorite, still playing like D and D podcasts, is is fourth edition. Yeah, second edition. I played second edition seven years ago. I ran a game for a couple of years. So it is kind of silly for people to complain. I mean, these things. It's you know, even with with video games, like this, the old game still exists. You can still play them. There's no. It's just kind of silly. People, so I that's think, true. Like to complain. Well, that that's definitely true. Uh, it's it's true that the old game still exists. You can always pick up an old book. It's not like it just vanishes. And that argument's been made a lot. But in another way, uh, the company is trying to move the community along. I mean, obviously, they need people to buy the new books. So uh, they want the gamers to follow them. And if there are people who like the current edition and don't like the the way that it's moving or changing they are in some ways justly afraid of having that community pulled away from them. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It does make sense. So I, I mean- find this information or the, sorry, this conversation really interesting because most people are like, Oh, let's ignore fourth edition and complain about fifth edition. Fourth edition never existed. We're just talking about five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Right. That's that's very true. People do do that. And it's, it's you know, again, like like I said, some of my fondest memories are from 4th. That's how I got started. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but um, how about um, really quick, because I, I don't want to just kind of 
only hone in on D&D and ignore everything else out there because there are literally thousands of tabletop games out there. It is true. Um, and what else have you guys played? And do those sort of carry over into these this genre of books as well? or? Um, I haven't played it, but I've read the um, Arcane Ascension books by um, Andrew Rowe. Yes, um, I love those, by the way. Yeah, and I think they're not based on D&D. I believe they're more based on Sword and Sorcery, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I, But I really like those books, and it uh, gave me RPG drive. And I know it was not specifically inspired by um, D&D. Yeah, that's a good... That, I'm glad you actually brought that up, because that's a very good series i was thinking about that earlier today when you say what was the series uh the first book is going to be um uh sufficiently advanced magic or sam (laughs) (laughs) have you guys played any other tabletop games besides D&D before i mean i've played um a system called genesis i actually tried doing a we we did a podcast for a little while um Mm. playing the genesis system which is really neat because it's not based on you can you can um, fail at the action you're trying to do while still getting an advantage where something good still happens even though you didn't quite succeed in what you're trying or you can succeed in what you're doing but something bad happens as a result in addition to the thing you the good thing that you're trying to do like it, it has this sort of um, interesting success failure system with the dice and um, that really helped a lot with the storytelling of the game I thought uh, I played uh, Savage Worlds very briefly. Uh, the only interesting thing I saw about that was like the rules are unbounded, so if you kept if you keep critting, it keeps um, adding on. So you can get like um, somebody got a like four hundred and something on a D four. Oh my god, that's insane! <laughs> and now I'm now I'm trapped working through the probabilities of that. <laughs> right. Well, that's what. You- <laughs> Did you say 100 or 400? 400. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't actually at the event, but it's um, it's like a legend that was passed through my friend group. So, Peter, you you make um, uh, board games, like for a living. If you can call it a living. Is it a living, or is it a, or just enough to keep the keep the juices flowing in the batteries? Sometimes I have batteries. <laughs> sometimes you just plug into the wall. That's yeah. Sometimes you have to go off the grid. Um, yeah. Well, I have played. I have played an awful lot of role playing games over the years. Um, Shadowrun, Exalted, Mage, Werewolf, Vampire, uh, Scion. Peering backwards over at my shelf right now. Uh, <laughs> I did play an awful lot of Exalted. I have a half dozen home systems that I play with. Uh, one of them I'm hoping to publish this year. Uh, it's called The Well. I was actually looking on your website and I saw that and I was interested. What Could you tell me a little more about that? I could absolutely do that. And thank you for giving me that in. Um, Why don't you tell us your website real quick? Oh, the website? Well, there, there's my personal website, pashafer.com, where I post short fiction mostly. And then there's shoelesspeakgames.com, where you can see other current uh, gaming projects. There's the plug. Boom. Plugged. 
promo. Do I have to pay you now? No. I I'm insist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll I'll send Katie some money. No one else gets anything. Yay! But uh, Peter, how do you get to find where she lives? We only know that she lives in uh, this northern place that I can't remember the name of. Minnesota. That's the one. Well, see, she, she's the one who's tracking all the information on everybody. So if we don't remember where she lives, we're doomed. She doesn't have to tell us. My you don't have to find me. I'll find you. <laughs> she's right um, behind me. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find in my tiny town that you know the name of. Ah, uh, don't put the uh, cut that out, though. Yeah, you got it. Oh, sorry. I'll cut that. No, that was, <laughs> no, that was stupid. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I was planning to cut that whether you said anything or not. <laughs> well, we can leave in just how dumb I was to shout it out. I was just so proud that I remembered. Can we instead, hey, could we instead just have like a really long <laughs> over the name? Sure. We can leave everything in. Just put a <laughs> to bleep it. Sure. You got it. Uh, one yeah. duck. I don't know. It just sounds great. We can do that okay. for swear words, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank yeah, you for screaming like, this out of my, in the name of my town. You're welcome. Oh, boy. I've been dumb before. But. <laughs> All right. So, um, but yeah, back to your. Oh, sure. Games. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Well is a, is a pretty lightweight role-playing game uh, that the setting developed out of a desire to have the classic dungeon crawling role playing game set up where uh, you you go down into a dungeon just deeper 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 and the deeper you go the harder the monsters get and the better the treasure is um, but I also wanted it to make some kind of sense I wanted it to have um, classic enemies so I went with undead as a general rule and then I but then I, I needed it to make sense in my head why are the deeper levels more dangerous because if you're building catacombs you're not going to you just first you're going to dig down one level and then you're going to put all the dead people there and then that fills up you're going to go down another level you're going to put the dead people there and that fills up but that means that the newer dead people who just thematically should be weaker easier to defeat or at least not you know ancient and powerful like the older ones they're the deeper ones and that that felt wrong so i started thinking about how could i change that what if it was a necropolis that built upward so they would have their level of catacombs and fill it up and then they would build another level on top of that and i thought that sounded really cool except that then the players would end up just like rappelling down this necropolis tower and boring a hole in through the side and getting right to the bottom level and something about that felt entirely wrong. Um, so in the end, I came up with uh, ages and ages ago, your ancestors dug uh, downward and, and made their city uh, deep underground to get away from something terrifying. And as time passed, they used up the resources and they entombed their dead and filled it up uh, so the, the space that they lived in was getting too full. So they moved downward and dig out a new city. And okay. 
Yeah, and then they move farther down and do it again and so on over generations. And then at some point, the undead or the dead that they've buried behind them, above them, start coming to life. And uh, so they count the levels upward. There's the city and then there's level one right above them and level two right above that. And each level is older and uh, has had more time to grow corrupt and monstrous. And it also means that the objects that you find there are older and more uh, have more archaeological worth and have been lost longer and that kind of thing. So wow, I, I love that. That's that sounds really cool. Thank you. I mean, it all grew out of a very silly justification of of an age old uh, just uh, there's a word that I forget. Uh, just the way things happen you know the way things the way people do things in role-playing games and after justifying it i ended up with this setting that sounded pretty darn cool you know sometimes it's that you know just that extra little effort in logic that Mm -hmm. helps you come up with a very unique idea though i i have found often that um being forced to work within a uh a constraint. constraint Yeah, exactly. A creative constraint can really do a lot of good for for your creative endeavors. And where can people buy that again, uh, Peter? Nowhere yet. Yeah, it's not okay. It is actually. We will be waiting. Okay. Well, I will. I am also actually waiting eagerly. It's. I'm working with. (laughs) I'm working with somebody for layout right now, and then I need to uh, get a little more art commissioned, and then I will be throwing it at everybody. Well, we so, keep in touch. We'll, we'll we'll keep up with um, updates on that, and um, and you know, guys, we can talk more about it off off podcast. I think if you guys have specific questions for Peter, I thought this was good? the advertise Peter's stuff podcast. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind it. I actually Peter's don't, our first sounds, sponsor because that sounds really <laughs> and I I want to play this game, but I want to talk to you more about it off podcast before we get. I, I have some things I actually want to talk to you about personally weird oh sure. uh, be- before we start talking about our um normal looks i have a quick off-topic thing that i have to say to daniel uh yes so i actually listened to uncanny collateral recently because i got a free copy from an author like a twitter giveaway that's awesome yeah and it was really really good oh okay I thought you were going to tell me how wrong I was in my review. <laughs> no, I really liked it. It was a short five hours. And it was great. And yeah, it was a, a good length. Yeah, it's dummy. not super long, but it was nice. I'm feeling an overwhelming compulsion to shout the name of somebody's hometown. <laughs> I'm not going to, though. So um, shall we uh, Shall we get into talking about our, our books? Our book selection yeah. as well? Sounds good. Um, mine's going to be pretty short. Um. So I read Lady Ruin by Tim Wagner. Which is a great um, name. Yes, I'm it's jealous. A, it's a great name for someone from Minnesota to say. <laughs> is it Wagner? Okay. Wagner. Wagner. If you look it up in the dictionary, it will have the A-E sound. Okay. <laughs> Wagner. Okay. All right. So it takes place in the world of Eberron, which I've never actually played in because we just do a a homebrew world that I've made Mm -hmm. Um, and there wasn't any real background in the book itself 
but I understand why there wasn't any. Which is why? Because it's already got a whole campaign setting book. Okay. They expect people to know already. Yes. In. That's what I'm assuming. Um, so it follows this girl named Lyra. She's second in command at this outpost um, where they're doing kind of like science experiments on, they're called symbionts. They're basically symbiotic weapons, but they're almost a little more parasitic because they, if you don't control it properly, it will take you over and make you do things you don't want to do, like so kill a whole bunch of people. So it's venom? Yes. Okay. Um, but the one that they were working on, it it was a, an arm whip. Like, it attaches to your forearm, and you can talk to it, it talks to you. And if you can keep it under control, it's pretty cool. Um, so the girl, Lyra, main character, her father is the only one who is above her in rank. And they're trying to do find a way to keep these symbionts under control so that they can use them in the wars. Because there's currently a time of peace in Eberron. Um, but they're trying to figure out how to use them as weapons. And it was it was a decent book. It wasn't my favorite. I'm not going to throw it at people and say, don't ever read this. If you want to read it, go ahead. I wasn't very impressed because there were things that seemed strange and out of place to me, at least. So read it if you want to, but Katie will no longer respect you. I'll still say hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the only D&D thing or like the RPG field was the setting or was it like uh, is what, what day do you choose it other than the setting? Uh, mostly, I just chose it because it was the, of the Eberron setting and because I bought it in a game store. Um, I have never actually played an established setting, so I thought it would be interesting to see what they've all got. Was there anything I, I, particular uh, like from the D&D world that you got out of reading this? It was like very, very like, wow, this is very much D&D. Um, like the fighting sequences, they were mostly like very descriptive things that I would try to put during my own battle sequences. Like you slide off to the side and then you come around the back and slash at the, you know, slash at their thighs and make them fall, all that. And then Lyra gets a critical hit. So, so perhaps... <laughs> So, so perhaps, like, you know, reading this could be, like, some good inspiration for a DM. In making the word picture. <laughs> yeah, but only for the fighting sequences. Like, I don't think the story is something that you would want to uh, copy for your own campaign. Interesting. That's a shame. I, I love the Eberron setting so much. It's got that, that weird science fantasy thing with, you know, flying boats and lightning uh, trains. People with Lightning trains, I love the lightning. See, I actually included something like a lightning train in my own world, and I had no idea that it was, like, a thing until I read this book. So, so is this our first, like, I do not recommend this book? 
I believe it is, and I'm sorry for going first. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We need those once in a while, honestly. It's such a shame because I really, I think Eberron is my favorite campaign setting, and it sounds like they just didn't do it justice in that one. But uh, you know, I hope people give it, give at least you know, pick up the campaign uh, book because it's really good. Did they update Eberron for Five E yet? They're gonna do that this fall, I believe. Well, there's a there is a book out. I think it's still like uh, under development uh, or whatever. But you can actually get get it on DMs Guild and in D and D Beyond. I think because mm. uh, they that's where you can pick up the uh, the Arcanist class. Yeah, hey. if you want, if your wizard is not scientist enough, then you want <laughs> Eberron. Uh, Katie, do you think if you knew the setting, would you enjoy the book more, or would you uh, still not recommend? Uh, the my problem wasn't with the world; it was with the actual storytelling and the. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, like the pacing was really weird. They just randomly threw in another character that all of a sudden, oh yeah, we're basically best friends. Uh, eh. well, that's it was just like a D and D session. Uh, it's just like, who is this random person that's joining us when somebody wants their friend to join? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I guess, you want, uh, should we hop into Daniel? Mm-hmm. Let's all sure. hop into Daniel. <laughs> oh, no. Wait. Do you this doesn't work again. <laughs> no. da- do you like Daniel or Dan? Either is fine. Okay. Danny I think Wayne? most people would call me Dan. I do not like Danny. Noted. I, I don't know where I picked up my... Very much dislike of Danny, but uh, how about Dantastic? Oh no! It's a, it's only Danielson would probably be worse. So, so what would you read this month? Uh, so I read um, uh, One Word Kill uh, by Mark Lawrence, and uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mark Lawrence. I really like Mark Lawrence's work a lot. He's written the the Prince of Thorns uh, series. He's got the um, the Red Queen's War series and the latest one uh, remind me. I, someone was reading it for the show, I think. Um, I'm currently, re- I wasn't reading it for the show, but I'm reading the third book in the Book of the Ancestors with Red Sister, Grey Sister, Holy Sister. Yes. Uh, those are all, I really w- would recommend almost all of those books. I think the first series, uh, the Prince of Thorns one is a little uh, just okay. And then after that, the Red Queen's War is an amazing series. Um but this is his new one. It's not fantasy, uh, strip and fantasy. It actually takes place in London in, uh, 1986. Uh, and it follows like a group of friends who their primary sort of reason for being friends is that they play D and D together. Um, and they, they, the book is really like about their hijinks, so to speak. Um, but primarily it's, uh, it's one character, Nick, who, um, you know, the core of the story is Nick's experience um, in 80s London uh, when he's diagnosed with uh, cancer and then has to navigate being a kid in 80s London with cancer and friends who mostly love him for playing D&D together. Uh, And if it was just that, I feel like I would have loved this book quite a lot. Mark Lawrence is an amazing writer. Um, it's really good. Uh, he, everything, you know, the prose is like really excellent. The story dragged me along. I love the characters. It's just that in the middle of that, he dropped a time travel, uh, plot element <laughs> and, <laughs> and time travel is, uh, obviously like super tricky. Um, 
and really it just doesn't work in this novel and hardly works ever. I think I think the biggest issue I had with it is, you know, most of the really good time travel stuff that you get like uh, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Back to the Future, <laughs> um, stuff that's fun. Uh, it's usually like they have to go back and fix something or make a change. And it's about them trying to, uh, you know, go back and make a correction or something like that. In this one, the time travel is th- that they're trying to preserve the timeline that is the, the sort of the best timeline so a guy you know comes back from the future and he's his main input into the story is like don't change anything make everything the same and uh it just you know it's him trying to like hold it all together and it's it just doesn't it's just not as fun i mean um you know the rest of the story is kind of fun even though it's kind of like about a kid with cancer which is not the most uh super enjoyable storyline you could think of probably, but um, it's still fun and interesting to read. And the eighties London is like a great setting, but uh, you know, that, that time travel element, just every time it came up in the story, I was like, Ugh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so it's a kind of like the, the time travel in uh, league of heroes, I think it's the, the, the CW show or based off the comic, the DC comic. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's. I feel like they have more fun on that show. Is, is it uh, Legends? Legends of Tomorrow. Right? Oh, Legends of Tomorrow. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I feel like they have more fun on that show because they take liberties with history, and you know, even though they're trying to correct it, it's like something's already been changed. And this, there's not, there aren't too, there there aren't very many like super fantastical elements. Um, it's really primarily just the story about a kid trying to make his way with cancer and friends that he likes, which I actually enjoyed a lot. And it's the future him that is, I mean, he's so hands off most of the time because he's like, Oh, I can't tell you too much. You know, I don't want to change things or here's some, you know, mysterious, uh, notes that I pass you, you know, that lead you on, on a course to the future that I want. But I'm just going to show up and prove that you survive cancer. Yes. I mean, that is one of the primary things that happens. And it kind of happens several times. You know, I I think um, I still would suggest this book to people if they really like Mark Lawrence's other work, which I do. I think I'll probably still pick up because I I think the sequel is already announced uh, to this one. So I probably will pick that one up. Uh, but I think that's mostly because I have some loyalty to Mark Lawrence and not so much because this book really wowed me or anything. I believe it's already out. Um, yeah, it's out. It, uh, it was published, uh, May 28th. Just recently. So, yeah, I haven't, I've not picked that up yet. Um, you know, the, to, to speak to the D and ness of it, I guess uh, the I liked the the D and D stuff that's in there with the kids while they're playing it. Um, he uses uh, the D and D game that they're playing uh, to pretty good effect. Uh, for, so it's you know it's plot related. It's not like hey, I'm gonna just spend a chapter and describe a D and D campaign. Um, but 
Uh, it's really good. Uh, I do think that like, you know, there could have been probably more of it. I think it was what really, you know, seeing the D and D described in the, uh, like jacket cover of the book is what made me pick it up. Uh, finally. Um, and unfortunately it was the time travel stuff that really turned me off to it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the D and D was kind of like, uh, in stranger things when they're playing D and D and stuff like that. And they incorporate it into like how they see the world. Very much. And, and very similar to stranger things where when they finally are like making some realizations about what's going on around them, they describe it in terms of the D and D game that they're playing or the, the plot elements of the D and game game are kind of metaphors for what's going on around. Okay. See, I really like that too. I, I love the, um, you know, any story that sort of follows people around their formative years and the things that really influence them during those years especially D&D, it's, it is that way with Stranger Things as well. Like, you know, watching these kids, um, it, it's just kind of nostalgic, you know? And you're, you're 100% right, Daniel, I think, about the time travel. It's only good when you're not taking it too seriously, right? Because right. there, there are so many opportunities for um, just plot holes that if you're, if you're actually trying to make sense, it kind of just ruins it. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, and it's you're constantly hand waving. I mean, we just did, um, you know, Avengers Endgame just came out a little while ago. It has a huge time travel element to it. It's probably the worst thing in that movie. Um, I actually thought they did it pretty well, but that's a whole nother conversation. I mean, but they do it well by kind of just like shrugging their shoulders to the audience and saying like, eh, this is for fun, guys. We're just going to have some fun. Don't worry too much about the t- I think one of my favorite like time travel movies is actually Looper hmm. because they just have fun with it. Like you don't it, anybody who gets caught up in like the plot holes in Looper is not paying attention to what that movie is. <laughs> Which is shooting people? Yes. Bruce Willis and yes. and uh... it's just awesome is what it is. It's just <laughs> awesome. I... I think my favorite is um what is I can't, I can't remember the name of it. It's the one with um God, I forgot all the names of the actors too. Uh, Tom Cruise uh, with the, the Edge um, of Tomorrow. Yes. Oh yeah, that's a great one. I like any movie where I get to watch Tom Cruise die over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. So, Rawr. one last question I had for you, really quick, which and I, I think I know the answer, but I don't know if you want to touch upon it more. Maybe is so knowing that this kid um, who has cancer, which I imagine is a pretty pivotal part of the plot, right? Um, knowing that he is going to survive that cancer because the future him is there, does that really just take a lot of the sting out of that? Uh, yes. Um, I think Mark Lawrence tries really hard to throw a lot of confusion at you in terms of like, you know, is this guy telling the truth? Is he really from the future? Is there no time travel? Is it all a scam? Mm. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why, like, I don't, I don't like it. He does not really commit to uh, the the time travel element like super hard. Instead, it it just kind of pops in and out of the story from time to time. That's bizarre. So, uh, what do you recommend? Uh. I mean, I would if you like Mark Lawrence. I think it's a good. Here's the other thing about Mark Lawrence, which is he does not follow the normal narrative rules. Uh, like if you've ever read Red Queen's War, it's three books 
there's no antagonist. It's really more like a uh, like a, a travel journal than it is like a, a, a standard narrative. And I think this is kind of the same way where it's hard to tell who, if anyone is the bad guy in this story. Instead, it is um, just like a, almost like a, a biographical tale of the, the kid with, with cancer, which I found really enjoyable, but uh, I think will turn off people who are not used to Mark Lawrence's writing. Hmm. Oh, I see what you mean. Like I was reading um, Red Sister in that series and I liked, when they went through the series um, books between the different books, it's like in the beginning, it was like a few short pages of this is what you need to remember. This is good. Yeah. Those are uh, Mark Lawrence. One of the few authors who will put a helpful recap of the previous uh, parts of the series. Like this character didn't exist last book, but it's in this book. Don't go looking for him. Hmm. I'll say too one last thing just on the terms of whether I'd recommend it or not. I would definitely recommend getting this in audiobook form. I listened to it. Um, it's narrated by Matthew Frau, who does an amazing job. There's, you know, probably eight or nine recurring characters, and uh, he differentiates them like great and keeps it going. He has a really wonderful uh, British accent. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would definitely say the audiobook is the way to go. So uh, the book I read was uh, called NPCs by Drew Hayes. Um, so I actually, I, I listened to this in audiobook a few months ago. And um, when we decided we were going to do the RPG topic, I, I sort of thought, wow, this is really on the mark. So I, mm-hmm. I listened to it again because it's pretty short. It's like seven hours. And um, I actually found out it's part of a series, which I didn't know before. There's like four books uh, called Spells, Swords, and Stealth, which is the name of the tabletop game in this world huh. so what's kind of interesting about this is that the 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 story opens up with players at a table playing sp- um spells swords and stealth together with their gm and you know the they sort of explain like you know this is a tabletop game and they explain some of the rules and case so they make it friendly if you have never played a tabletop game you can sort of understand what's going on. And then all of the players, they sit down at a tavern, they drink alcohol, and their DM is like, oh, well, you, you guys remember those mushrooms you ate earlier? Well, those were poisonous, and now if you drink alcohol, it compounds the poison. You all die. So that's sort of the prologue, is the players playing together, and they all die. And then the story actually starts with the NPCs that were in that bar when the whole party died in front of them. And how do those NPCs react to watching you know, four people or whatever just die suddenly in front of them and <sighs> follows those NPCs throughout the rest of the story? And um, in this first chapter, you know, the, the, way, the way they do this relationship between, between RPG games and, and, fa- and fantasy books and, and, um, and the way we treat the characters in a tabletop game versus the way we treat characters in a book is very interesting. So um, they make mention to these NPCs being unimportant. They're like, ah, oh, they're just NPCs. We don't care about them. They can die. They're not important. And then the story is like, no, these NPCs are people and they care about this game world because this is their world. This is the only world they know. They actually have stake in it, 
whereas the players sort of treat it all flippantly and they take crazy risks and they're murder hobos because they know it's a fake world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of re- yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, um, is, has anyone watched the um, anime Log Horizon? Yes. I was thinking, uh, you know how they treat the, um, when they get first get in the world, they're kind of mean to the NPCs and stuff like that, and then they realize they be, they get their cognizant and they um, and stuff like that. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, it's 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 actually really fun, um, and and these four these four NPCs sort of, um, you know, it's a little bit the story is a little bit silly and a little bit convoluted, but if you don't take it too seriously, you can have a really fun time with it. Um, so they see these dead people and they're like, oh, what should we do with them? Oh, we'll just toss them out to the woods and whatever. They're dead. Um, and then one of them's looking through the stuff and he goes, uh oh, they have a missive from the king. They're supposed to go see the king. And they know that their king is like a mad king who will, he'll he's uh, he'll kill people for no reason kind of thing. He's just like crazy and power hungry and everything. And they see that this missive is calling for a paladin, a rogue, a wizard, and a uh, barbarian to come to the king f- for a job. And they were on their way to go. And they go, well, if if the king finds that these four people died close to our town, the king's gonna be mad at us. And he's going to kill everybody in the town. So we need, um, we need to find a way to get these four there. And so they decided, okay, well, one of us can be the barbarian, one of us can be the rogue, one of us can be the paladin, one of us can be the wizard. And they just take their gear and sort of assume that role. So now you have NPCs taking on the role of PCs going to do the quest that the PCs were going to do. And then they further subvert your expectations by by changing what you expect so there's a there's a half orc and you expect him to be the barbarian and originally that's what the the role he takes but circumstances force him to end up becoming the wizard um you have a um a female human she was going to be the wizard well you know she's tiny she's not very strong but when she gets angry she suddenly becomes very powerful and she becomes the barbarian right um they also have like a, a human guard who they expect him to become the paladin, but when he takes off all of his heavy armor and everything, he finds out he's surprisingly nimble, and so he becomes the rogue. And then you have this tiny little halfling guy, and <laughs> you expect him to obviously be the rogue. He gets chosen by his god, which is um, the god of servants. Um, <laughs> and he ends up becoming like a paladin of, of this um, god of servants. And it's a very... I really love the way they subvert the expectations in the book as well, and um, it's just it's just a fun time, you know. It, I think the book has a lot of commentary on RPGs and fantasy books and the way it all interacts. But you know, at the end of the day, I would just say it's fun. It's pretty short, and you know, if you want to give it a listen on Audible, I'm actually not sure if you can get a physical copy. I think it's an Audible only. I would recommend it. So is there an, I mean, does it go like all the way through the adventure? Yeah, it does. It does. To some kind of conclusion? It does. Yeah, I don't want to like spoil it too much. But what I will say is that um, essentially the storyline is another NPC sort of discovered that they were in a game world and found a way to manipulate dice rolls. And so any PCs, (laughs) so any of the players that were actually trying to kill this character, this big bad guy. He would manipulate the dice rolls and they couldn't defeat him. But a non-playable character who doesn't have dice rolls can beat him. Hmm. 
So <laughs> that's the whole gist of it. But there's a whole series that, so I'm imagining that they, uh, you know, obviously that, that storyline ends in this book and they, they'll have other ones and the other ones and the other three books. So that's great. I, I like that a lot. What was the name again? Um, the series is called spells, swords, and stealth. And the book is called NPCs. Cool. I think I'll definitely pick that up. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good time. I'm also glad someone finally liked the book they were reviewing. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of uh, John Scalzi's book, Red Shirts, which uh, has, a, yeah. has a very similar attitude toward... Uh, Isn't that uh, about the Star Trek Red Shirts? Basically, yeah. <laughs> but as a very... It, it, it's like the people on the... Sh- like people realizing they're in a television show. Or that the yeah. like the I, like, show kind of thing. Uh, I mean, it's more like you're having your everyday life, and then suddenly you find yourself being worked on by. I think in the book they call it the narrative. Yeah, yeah. You get forced into making stupid decisions and using a uh, scientific gobbledygook because the the story is focusing on you at this moment. What do you mean, Game of Thrones uh, season eight? What are you talking about? <laughs> regardless i i enjoyed that that book as well so so peter what did you read i don't know <laughs> oh uh, i decided that's to bad. Go. you should that's, know <laughs> i think you wrote a review about it oh man oh shoot um so i ended up going kind of old school uh i went back to the Crystal Shard, the very first uh, book by R.A. Salvatore, who is the uh, author best known for creating Drizzt Do'Urden, the dark elf ranger uh, who fights with two scimitars and has a giant, well, has a panther companion. Um, amusingly, he was never intended to be the hero. This book is supposed to be the uh the rise of wolfgar the barbarian hero for whom drist is sort of a, a mentor and then sidekick but uh the dark elf just took off in popularity and that's where the that's where the story went um the book's fine it's a, it is a you know it's a minor classic of the uh of the Dungeons and Dragons related fantasy literature. Um, the, the author has decent pacing and uh, is pretty good at fight scenes, which is nice. Um, the book suffers from, well, suffers from the same thing that a lot of Dungeons and Dragons does, which is simple racial essentialism. The, the natives in this in the uh, northern icy land are all called barbarians without any sense of uh, self-consciousness or irony or anything. They're just the barbarians. The goblins and orcs and giants are all inherently evil and that never seems to get questioned. We have the uh, protagonist, Drizzt Doerden, who uh, is... A dark elf. He's from the race of cruel, malevolent, evil underground elves, but he's the good one. And that 
that's a problem all in itself, especially since this is a race of naturally evil people who are all dark skinned. It's just, there are a lot of problems with the book. Um, but if you can look at it and say, this is not inherently the fault of the author or the book. This came out of the, the, the dictates of the uh, role-playing game setting, which were written by other people. It's a fun read. Um, you can look at it and say, oh, you know, I see why this character has such legs, why people are still... Or why people got excited about this character and why people are still reading about about him today. It's part of the, you know, it's not okay that they're dark-skinned and evil. You also have to kind of think about, like, the time that this was written. So, yes and no. I mean, if it was written in 1960-something, maybe I'd agree with that flat out. As it was, it was 1988, and I feel like people in general should have known better. But, but it's based off of something that came out in, like, the 70s, right? The mid-70s, mid to late 70s, yeah. Um, even so, I think, you know, written today, you could do something similar with a lot more self-awareness. And again, yes, it came out of the time, and we should acknowledge that without ignoring the fact that it's problematic. Yeah, for sure. That is an interesting point that you bring up, though, because I, I think all of fantasy to a small degree, or maybe a large degree, I don't know, has um, this sort of problematic history, right? I mean, just in the biggest thing in general is what you talked about, where um, in, in, in D&D and all these types of games, race is like a, a really tricky thing to play with, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's often problematic. You know, that's the thing with having all of these different races. It's like, well, do they all get along or do they all hate each other? Or, you know, it's. I mean, it's it, part of the issue is that races in D&D, at least, are stand ins for different cultures um, and where cultures share a, uh, you know, a natural they, they share cultural characteristics because they have a lot of internal communication and they, they share these outlooks. Um, a, a Applying that to a race makes these stereotypes that are reasonably and appropriately applied to cultures, uh, it makes them seem reasonable and appropriate to apply to some, to biology. Right. And that can be a problem. Most of the time it's a problem. Yes. So I've heard of this character, Dritzt. Yeah. Um, but I've never read Ari Salvatore. I actually have a copy of one of his books um, sitting in my pile that I'm hoping to get to. Mm -hmm. um, but can you can you tell me a little bit about why this character became so popular? Its rise to popularity. Um. I don't know in if I opinion. can in full because I I don't have a a huge. Uh, attraction to the character. I think um, the I think it fulfills a lot of people's interest in characters who are loners um, 
or at least are entirely self-sufficient. He certainly, um, as a character, seems to be the most capable. I definitely enjoy reading about or reading hyper-capable characters sometimes, although I end up getting tired of them. He uh, He's a little emo, so that probably appealed to a certain group. Um, he's definitely kind of introspectively looking at life and thinking about why is he this way when everybody he came from is this way and yeah sort of contemplative and aloof and removed um while still being excellent at all the things he does has that sort of become an overused trope at this point what like the i'm a member of race x but well i've overcome my inherent nature yeah yes but also just like the the dark past i'm a loner that kind of, you know, I, every yes. campaign I've played, somebody tries to make a character like that. And it's always very tr- difficult to play with that well, person. D- d- because that person is is uninterested in creating connections with the world or usually the other characters. They want to, they want to have a little power fantasy, usually. Um, and anything that, that undermines that in their eyes they want to get rid of so they don't really engage with the other players very well very easily very willingly not sure what the right word choice is there i've always found that to be a problem i don't know about you guys but Uh uh-huh yeah i made that character once and it was (laughs) terrible i'll never do that again i think we've all also made that character once right well, it was my first character, and it was terrible. I should never, I hated him. My I first think we can forgive you. Well, I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't have a background. Like, oh, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I started ahead. making my characters like as I went, and then started making terrible decisions and acting like an asshole. <laughs> I'm actually dark and mysterious in my real life, so all my characters <laughs> are like bubbly clerics. So... You're dark and mysterious to everyone except for Katie, who knows everything. <laughs> That's right. She's the, sure? she's the true shit. Katie, are you sure you're not the robot that is connected to the web? Or are you just connected to Peter? <laughs> well, we are birthday buddies. That's true. Oh, um, happy oh early birthday God. to Dan- uh, Happy early birthday to Daniel. Oh, thank you. Oh. Happy early birthday. Oh, my God. Somebody buy this guy a book. <laughs> <laughs> It's in eight days, question mark? Uh, yeah, the 14th. Oh, yeah, because it's 14 days before mine. It's Bastille Day. So happy early birthday now, but late birthday when this comes out. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Isn't time weird? <laughs> Hello, also, happy, future people. I guess, I guess happy late birthday to me, too. So wait a second. Are we also time travelers? Yes. I mean, yeah, I'm traveling through time. I'm so disinterested in our storyline all of a sudden. At a rate of one second per second. Well, uh, I always think, have you heard of the, you know the International Dateline, right? Yes. I always think you're just time traveling when you go over it. Pretty much. That's just fact. Because one time I left uh, Australia at 4 a.m. and got to LAX at 7 a.m. Isn't that the best? Mm Mm-hmm. it sucked. My brain it was does. Screwed. No, that's yeah. So, um, 
so ultimately, uh, th- I mean, is this... So you want an ultimate thumbs up, thumbs down? Well, if you want to, but is this indicative of the rest of his work, or is this sort of just like, oh, it's his first, and it's problematic? Oh. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I've read um, a number of the older books of his, but it's been a while since I've read the other ones. I picked this one up to reread it for this. Um, honestly, I think the next one takes the form of a much more traditional role-playing game adventure. It's uh, Drizzt and the like, three other characters. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, the... Uh, inherent and unremarkable sexism in that there's one named woman and she almost does something. So it's a very problematic book. Yeah. Okay. Um, In the next book, I think the the, the four of them go off on a more D&D-like adventure to an old Mines of Moria sort of place. And I'm pretty sure the woman does a thing in that book. Wow, good <laughs> for her. Right? Moving up in the world. <laughs> My God. Take that glass ceiling. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's it's definitely, it is interesting archaeologically, so to speak, if nothing else. Um, but it's also a, a fun yarn if you can look past its problems. Very problem. The, we have to acknowledge it's very problematic. Right. <laughs> I no. guess I guess I'm next with a very well-known book, um, Bloody Rose by Nicholas Ames. Now, I haven't read it yet, but I, it's on my list. Um, I will try not to spoil anything. Thank you. Uh, Is there blood? It, yes. Are there roses? <laughs> no. <Shit>. Spoilers. <laughs> um... So it's the sta- it's kind of it's chronologically it's a sequel to um, Kings of Wild, but also can be land, um, read as a standalone. The only thing I'm going to say comparing the two because I would like to keep Kings of Wild as its own thing since Bloody Rose it's it's its own book um, is Bloody Rose has a much more cynical feel. I feel oh, when you when it as it reads, it's less jokey and stuff like that. Hmm. Um. But uh, it actually um, it has a feeling of somebody coming, somebody new coming into an established party, and them trying to figure out their place in the world. Because the main character is uh, Tam Hashfield, and she's not your typical main character. She's actually the Bart in Kings of Wild. It, it was uh, the main character was tank uh, type of character, and it reads like Tam is not the focus of the book. It's her observing the focus of the book. Um, has anyone played the Witcher series? Sure. Uh, and like Witcher three, you know how Geralt isn't like the main character. Right. You know what I mean? It's it's him watching Siri be the main character. Hmm. Right. Yeah. He he's the point of view character, right? Yeah. It, it, um, Tam is that protagonist, but she's not the hero. Now I haven't read the book or played the game, but uh, maybe similar to the black company uh croker is the the analyst he's recording what they do but he's he ends up kind of being at the center of things but only watching most of it that kind of thing kind of she does develop at the end i the, my main problem with the book i wish tam had more development 
Um, mm. Other than her, she does develop, but I want I wanted more like the other characters because the other characters have great side arcs and it was great seeing them develop and stuff like that. But I wanted more for the main character. And uh, another problem I had is the plot is kind of predictable at points, but mm-hmm. and still still fun. Uh, but I really, really liked the way how uh, Nicholas Ames describes the characters and how he describes the fight scenes. Oh, feels, okay. Yeah, I remember like, that being good from Kings of the Wild. Like, mm-hmm. every like side character has their name, has their shtick. Uh, like, uh, there's something like Lucky Star and uh, Courtney and the Sparks and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that music theme. Uh, and it feels really good, and it has. It's like it's nice knowing what the characters look like for a change. Sure. And like, what the hell is happening? Of when it's fighting, other than they suddenly appear from nowhere. Uh, but I really like that. Um, I will say, I would recommend the book. I would not recommend the audiobook. I did not like the audiobook's narrator. Oh, interesting. I sat through it because I had to because I didn't own the physical copy but I didn't like the narrator. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a bad narrator. Uh, um, her male voices got... Um, I didn't like her male voices. And her female voices were not distinct enough for me, and I kept getting confused on who was talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's always a problem, so... Yeah. Uh, also, the weapons were cool. Like, uh, Bloody Rose has... That basically a boomerang. Whoa! Like uh, she can throw them, and they can she can like call them back with her gauntlets. Take that, Drizzdord! <laughs> <laughs> Be bloody rose, uh, red hair, and black armor, and scimitars that come back to you. So, um, how does this book sort of fall into the world of like tabletop RPG? Uh, it's just how the characters are um, a band of mercenaries that are working together and um, you can have a Bloody Rose and Free Cloud who are the DPS fighters and they're going at them and rushing in and then you have uh, Brune uh, who is the um, kind of like a he's a shapeshifter tank kind of character mm-hmm. and then you have the summoner so it just feels like a party in the way it like sort of describes their battling Predi- uh, yeah. Predominantly. Yeah. Even though Tam doesn't really fight that often because she's the bard. So, is there any? And, does it have any sort of like commentary on like tabletop games and? Uh, it might because uh, I don't. I'm not that well versed in the uh, commentary. But um, Peter, if Peter reads it, he can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. Like in Kings of the Wild, uh, the characters were all long-time adventurers coming back to uh, adventuring again. So they all had storylines that were indicative of kind of the usual fare of, of D and D. But these, if I remember right, uh, the bloody rose is like the daughter of uh, one of the original characters. Yeah. She is um, the daughter of golden game, Gabe, who was the front man. And so, you know, does it, are these is it now that like these are new characters and they're kind of building D D esque kind of storylines? No, um the only new the only new character I would say is the main character Tam because she actually just joins this group uh without any experience, but she is also the daughter of mercenaries. 
does it feel like it's a story of someone joining a D&D campaign like in the middle? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, that's what I was, uh, she's starting, she's a new character joining a old, like a group of old people. Well, like older people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and she has to figure out how she fits into the group. I think that's something we can all kind of relate to in terms of yeah. anybody who's played a, any tabletop game coming in in the middle. Yeah, it's like a group that are like in their prime or a little past their prime. Mm. That was one of the fascinating things about the, the first book was that it, it took your D&D party and then recast it in the, the, the feel of getting the band back together, complete with like rock band groupies and everything. Yeah, uh, it has less musical satire because apparently the first book had a lot of musical satire that I missed. Oh, um, sure. I was reading reviews because I wanted to have other people's opinions as well. And uh, that's what somebody pointed out. I did like that they also had groupies just following them. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it, it's such a strange universe that he makes uh, in in those books that you know where he is doing that kind of odd commentary but the characters just treat it entirely straight i think that really helps mm -hmm. yeah with, you know uh it does even though it's it does continue on the commentary for the first book of like how humans treat monsters oh interesting yeah that that didn't really get uh, resolved in the first book i guess they do touch on it yeah, that, it it gives the book a much more cynical feel. Interesting. I still really enjoyed it. It was really fast, about 15 hours. So you would recommend? Yes, I would not recommend the audiobook, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm excited to read Yeah, I'm looking forward to this also. Um, I can't wait for the third book to come out at some point. <laughs> is there is there a plan? It's on Goodreads, so I assume he put that on there. <laughs> oh, okay then. And so if any of you guys want at home uh, read a little bit more about any of these books, all of our written reviews will be up on the website on toomanythoughtsmedia.com. Uh, you can scroll down on just about any page now on the sidebar at the bottom. You'll have a list of our latest book reviews. Um, and you can also probably find us all on Goodreads, right, guys? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Not me. Not yet? Or not at all? Not, I just don't have the time. That's understandable. You're fired. Oh, one, no, one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, he's our first sponsor. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I would like to say one more thing. Um, I would read Kings of the Wild first before reading Bloody Rose. Just for mm, continuity. Good, call. Sake. Yeah. good to know. That makes sense. Even though they're standalones, stuff happens in the last of us, uh, Bloody Rose that would has it has more impact uh, emotional impact than if you read king of the wild first like have you guys ever met somebody who like will read a book like a book series right in the middle like they'll just pick up book six and just start reading my mom would kill me oh my god i know i know people like that it's just weird I'm like how i've done just... it accidentally oh sure accidentally like um i read the cinda williams chima series i read that in book three by accident because i didn't understand yeah, those ones are kind of hard to understand because they all like have the same title and it doesn't actively say, oh yeah, book one, book two, book three. It was also like 
a different story. Like it's followed a different main character from the rest of the series. It was like the air series, like a warrior air, wizard air, blah 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 blah. Yep, I've got those. Uh, even though my favorite book is actually the first book. Same here. I I understand. And then it goes to somebody else, and you're like, oh, I don't care about this person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Welcome we to think? about half of the wheel of time. <laughs> uh, also, Maslin. Well, guys, I think that's it. I think we're going to wrap it up for now. So, uh, you know, thanks for tuning in. Um, make sure you can subscribe to us on uh, too many thoughts media.com. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And um, in the meantime, keep reading. We'll talk to you and later. And don't forget mm-hmm. about the well. Don't forget about the well. We'll keep you updated with, with uh, updates as, as that comes along. You can also follow us separately on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Be sure if you check out our uh, book reviews, um, it'll have each of our little author bios at the bottom, and you can find our social media there. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye.